You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR. Reality Check Radio. This week's political tragic is Olivia Pearson. Welcome to the show, Olivia. <laughs> I don't quite know whether that's a compliment or an insult, Cam, but um, we'll find out. So, Olivia, we're we're within a hundred days now of the election, mm. and there's about ninety-seven days or something left to go. Um, a lot of people on the centre and the centre right have been saying, "Oh, nationals just going to keep their powder dry. They're going to keep their powder dry. It's coming. It's coming." Where do you think the National Party is at? And let's start with their campaign slogan, which is, it's so forgettable. I was talking to my sister this morning and she couldn't even remember what it was. You've got it. You know what it is. I know what the slogan is. It's, uh, let's get New Zealand back on track. Right. So that's kind of the the limp version of build back better. (laughs) It's it's exactly... (laughs) Actually, that is a very good description of exactly what it is. And it's so loose and overarching, it doesn't mean anything. But that's how National like their campaign slogans to be. Um, and I know that from experience. Tell us about a, bit, a little bit, a bit about that experience. Well, back in 2008, when John Key was trying to get into government, No advertising agency in the whole country would take them on as a political advertising service because they were considered so hideously right-wing. And this is when, you know, idiots like Marcus Lush were on air uh, and fully in the tank for Helen Clark. And no advertising agency would take them on as a client, honestly, the National Party, because they were considered so right-wing. Uh, so it's hard had, to believe, isn't it, really, given what it, John Key actually delivered? Exactly. I mean, it's it was so wrong-headed um, because he was more on their side than ours. But um, the, the odd thing about it was is they had to put it out to the freelancers. And because I was working in advertising at that time <clears throat> as a freelancer, we pitched for it, me and another guy, Glenn Jameson, who's done many of their campaigns uh, since. And we won it. We won it quite quickly because they just needed politically minded people that were prepared to do their advertising campaign. But we gave them a whole lot of slogans. And I honestly can't remember the list, but the worst one, Glenn and I had a laugh. The worst one at the time was choose a brighter future. (laughs) <laughs> and of course, that's the one they went for. Yeah. And I think I've mentioned this before on air that some wag said, Oh, why don't you choose a brighter poster? <laughs> and he was completely <laughs> correct. <laughs> choose a brighter. So now we've got back on track. Know. Let's keep New Zealand, get New Zealand back, back, on, back track. on track, which back does track. mean, yeah, you're right. It means build back better, but without saying it. Yeah. So we've got a, WEF clone in yeah. there, basically. We totally and, do. And the development this week from the campaign of the National Party is Christopher Luxon getting Amanda, his wife, on board the campaign bus and the trail, uh, door knocking with him and, cre- and 
you know, Luxon's boasting about that Amanda's going to create her own YouTube channel. Did you see that video? Yes, I did. So is that all I could think was that that was a classic beta male approach, a man running to be the prime minister of this country, getting his wife on board, thinking that she would be able to win with women where he can't. We, you know, we've in the past loathed politicians that dragged their family into campaigning. We couldn't stand Jacinda Ardern shamelessly using Clark and then her child to soft sell messages to the public. We didn't, you know, we never saw John Key's wife, Brona. She never was in the news at all. No, very Same with Helen woman. Clark's husband was never in the news except when he wrote his snippy letters to the editor, to the Herald, which they published from time to time. But by and large, they were invisible. I'm not sure this is a development that we want to see where unelected spouses are pimping their lackluster husband. Well, especially after he has come out and said, leave my wife out of politics. I'm the candidate, not her. And suddenly she's in his videos going door knocking around what Struggle Street, they called it. You know, Struggle Street's the middle of botany. All those <laughs> houses are over $2 million. Owned by rich Asians, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, no, I mean, it's it, it reeks of desperation. And as you well know, I'm not a national Christopher Luxon fan anyway, so everything they do is going to look slightly absurd to me. But um, getting her in there to do his campaigning with him, I mean, door knocking, actually door knocking. I, I think they have to do that because I, I don't know what their thinking is, but maybe he doesn't want to be a lone man turning up and knock on, knocking on people's doors without a woman next to him to look legit. It's very strange. Desperation's a stinky cologne. A very stinky cologne. Worse than Lynx. <laughs> I always used to laugh about Lynx because they had a, a, a particular sub-brand called Inca, and when you ran it together, it sounded like Lynx Stinker. <laughs> <laughs> An advertising fail. Well, maybe you should go back to Old Spice. What was wrong with Old Spice? Nothing. My I, my father is ex-military. Always, he was all, My childhood memories of my father picking me up in that beautiful Navy uniform, you know, clean, smooth, and smelling of Old Spice. It's just beautiful to me. Probably used Cossack underarm as well. Um, probably something like that. I don't know if Cossack was around then. Old Spice is pretty, it, it, you know, it, we, we grew up on the Oneidan line with that beautiful Katchaturian music. Our fathers smelt like, like naval officers. Yeah, like the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it was just gorgeous. Oh, we, we digress from politics. This is about politics. We better yep. get back to that. So what about the left wing this week and absolutely unhinging themselves over a little clip of Christopher Luxon talking to a, a public meeting, I don't know, Nelson somewhere, mm. and you know the oldies were getting a bit agitated about the renaming of government departments like Waka Kotahi and you know, mm. whatever else there is, God knows what they mean. Um, but they're like losing it and pretty much calling out the National Party as 
almost Nazis and <laughs> Russell Brown losing his, you know, his poise and his decorum, you know, Again. such as you can have when you're a 60 plus year old man who rides bikes everywhere with pannier bags on them. And gets scammed. <laughs> it's exactly. I mean, is this something that, that we should be outraged about that, that Christopher Luxon answered some questions in a town hall in Nelson? Well, the odd thing about it is that he wasn't going for exclusively Maori language, was he? He, he His idea was that he likes oh, dual it's... language signs. Yeah. And I got to admit, I'm a Kiwi. We grew up, you know, if you grow up in New Zealand, you, uh, you have an affection for Maori. And I do. And I always will have because I'm a New Zealander and I don't mind dual language signs. I really don't. They're a little bit long and perhaps not efficient because of that. But um, I like knowing the Maori names for things, um, but I don't like it at the expense of English not being primarily the national language of the country. Um, we're an English colony and that is still part of the British monarchy. And we have a king, dipstick though he is. That's the political structure, and that's why we have a Governor-General. So let's not forget, we are an English colony. Well, just doing some research for this um, this little segment here, I found out that um, that NZTA, which of course is called Waka Kotahi by all of the forelock-tugging media out there instead of using their real name, uh, haven't even got a, a URL for Waka Kotahi. It just ends nowhere. It's, it, it's, so they haven't even bothered. They haven't even bothered going the next step and registering a domain name and then redirecting it to the NZTA. Yeah, website. so it's on the internet. Oh, so, so what we're doing is we've got government departments that are calling themselves Maori names, but they. But if you then go, oh, okay, I need to check something out. I'll, I'll, I'll just search Waka Kota. Oh no, no, it's not there. No, because people also don't know how to spell it. And perhaps if they go with dual names instead of exclusively Maori names, we will know how to spell the Terio versions. Well, here's the other thing, right? Nearly every place name in New Zealand is Maori. Yeah, there was yeah. a there was even a song, you know, back in the 50s, I think it was, where there was all of the stops on the main trunk line on the railway line. And it's all it's it's all these, you know, Maori place names. And they're saying that we need to now have all of the European place names renamed to Maori names, or at least have both of the names on the signs. Are we going to go around to Rotorua, for example, and say, let's insert the English underneath that? Well, we, we're not, are we? We're, we're, well, we're not saying that. No, we're not saying that. But um, I, I don't have a problem with dual names, Maori and English. I really don't. I don't think that that's a biggie. And the it's fact not a die in the ditch issue, is it? It's certainly not, not with what we're up against. And here's the thing I want to say. Um, all this outrage against Christopher Luxon for being a rabid white right winger. Um, if, if he is a rabid right winger, then I am the Virgin Mary. <laughs> well, I don't think he even eats um, right wing chicken wings. No, he, he probably weeds those out. Or we'll just have left wing ones for dinner tonight, Amanda. Well, and this is the thing: is that national have been, as I keep saying, and and you know, centre left for a long time since probably to that two thousand and eight. 
um, when it was obvious and all the things they brought in, like UNDRIP um, from the UN and stuff. But I would like to say this on that topic about the the paradigm between left and right. Um, if people want to talk right and left-wing paradigms and the dummies often do this as if they mean anything now because they don't, it would behove people to remember that the, the defining line of what is left and right is the rule of law. And at the far right of the rule of law, you have jungle anarchy as in no laws at all. And on the far left, you have total law as in totalitarian laws like communism and fascism, two sides of the same coin, where there is no personal liberty to speak of. Um, America's founding fathers on that line of the rule of law were right of center, believing in the rule of law, but with a very guarded sway toward personal liberty. And that's the only form of moral government when such a government sees their own role as existing for the sake of securing and keeping man's natural rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But that's all. Those are the three, those are the three things, not these made-up rights that we've got now, like the Human Rights Commission who said comes has come out and said everyone's entitled to a warm, healthy home yeah. as a human right. No. Well, now they now they see that as now they're triangling for there's a right to not be offended, hence they're targeting a free speech. Yeah. Um, no, no such rights like that exist. Um, but no government in the world see them sees themselves as there existing for the securing and the safeguarding of uh, natural individual rights anymore. And then we wonder why there's a monumental push toward tech slavery, economic slavery, and totalitarianism. Um, if governments can issue lockdown orders and mask your face orders, as we saw back in 2020, then they're demonstrating something that is very, very, very left, not anything close to centre-right of the rule of law. Well, that's the thing that, that you know, I'm, in my introduction to the show earlier, I was talking about my journey coming from Partisan politics involved, you know, very heavily on one side of politics. And I took two years off, you know, to uh, after I had my stroke, and I kind of recalibrated everything. And then, of course, we had the pandemic and all of the excesses that went on there. With what I saw as the centre right cheering on the centre left and stomping all over our rights and. You know, I was visiting the the protest in Wellington that I banged into and caught up with and met a whole lot of people that I would never have done met before had I continued in the partisan politics of being only on one side. And I resolved back then that I was going to ch change my ways for want of a better term. And as a result of the thinking that's gone in around that, I'm agnostic to whatever political party there is out there i'm looking for somebody or a political party that's going to uh, promote the exact things that you've just been talking about life liberty and the pursuit of happiness without the interference of the state in every microcosm every aspect of our life mm. and one thing about the covid nonsense that went on is how willingly Kiwis who were previously self-sufficient in in their attitudes and uh, you know their can-do attitude 
just gave it all up to the government and said, save us, help us, yep. tell us what to do. And people just willingly did that. And I think there's a, a real problem now in society is that people have been conditioned because of the COVID stuff into expecting that every little aspect of their life will be protected, saved, um, uh, you know, the bad things, bad thoughts, bad words, bad ideas will be stopped somehow. Mm. But, well, that's interesting, Cam, because it is always the left, it has always been the left in the last 100 years of history that politicise every aspect of your life. And we saw that with communism and we saw that with fascism. You do not have a self that exists outside the political system. Um, and that's that's what makes it truly evil. You know, right-wing, traditional conservative right-wing politics allowed you to go and vote every three or four years, but have your own life where you really didn't have to take that much notice of anything because the, uh, the, uh, the status quo was freedom. Yeah, if we don't like this government, we'll vote you out. And now we've got this, this what I call hom a homogenized view of politics where there's certain things that are agreed to that we mustn't discuss in any way, shape, or form because these are given as truths and they're nothing like truths like men can be women and women can be men and all of this sort of nonsense. When, yeah. when in actual fact, if you call it out and you say, you know, that's, that's actually stupid, then you get attacked and then you get yeah. othered and then you get banned and then you get your bank accounts taken away and all of this because you did to say something that was contrary to the agreed narrative, whatever that narrative is. Yeah, well, and there are many agreed narratives that are going on um, that that we don't know until they hit us in the face. But the, the politicization of every issue, right down to what you do in your bedroom, is a freak baby of the left, not the conservative right. I will I will go to my grave saying that. If you want freedom where you just want to live your life, mind your own business, be left alone, you need a conservative system in play which really does uphold those individual rights. And we are we are obviously going to have to fight tooth and claw to get that kind of life back. It's and not going not to be gonna, handed to us. Not going to be handed to us, and it's not going to be delivered to us by the National Party either. No, because they're no, they're they're completely they are infected in the fundamental integrity of um, all their politics, which has been completely cannibalized by the left. It's kind of depressing. Let's talk about something that might be mildly more exciting. What's going on with NATO and Hipkins and all of that nonsense up there? Well, I'm not sure it will be less depressing. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we have to look reality squarely in the eye and be brave enough to... Um, take it but yeah the up in Lithuania at the moment of course as we speak the um, NATO conference is going on and everything coming out I can't help but think I just see Russia having the whole of NATO over a barrel um, nobody wants to see Ukraine suddenly become a member 
because that would be tantamount to all NATO member countries officially joining in an official war against Russia because of clauses like Article 5, where we go one, we go all. Um, Admitting Ukraine into NATO now, when they are still in a war and with extremely contested borders, would be like NATO saying, hey, everyone, we're now all at war with Russia. You okay with that? (laughs) And the moment... And at the moment, it's officially done on a proxy war level only. I mean, ho ho to that. Um, we watch NATO totally provoke Russia's invasion of the Ukraine by aggressively expanding eastward, um, systematically ignoring Russia's warnings over the last 10 to 20 years. And this represented a gross violation of the principle that had inspired the entire European security architecture since the 1970s. So in other words, NATO has just played an absolutely crucial role in unraveling Europe's security framework and midwifing the largest conflict on European soil since the Second World War. So, um, why, so why is Christopher Hipkins up at, in, I always thought it was ironic that the capital of Lithuania is Vilnius, which it could be vileness. Vilnius. 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 The language sounds Roman to me, Vilnius. Yeah. Originally, but, perhaps. But, yeah, so why are we sucking up to NATO? We, we, we've got nothing to do with NATO. We're in the South Pacific. Well, so this is the really odd thing. Um, so much for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization which is meant to stay up in the North Atlantic. No, they're trying to pull that down into the Indo-Pacific and the South Pacific, of course, which is why Christopher Hipkins is up in Lithuania at the moment. We're not even a member. We are a partner and they're different. Um, Look, they're doing this push all the time. Even Nigel Farage came out and said the other day that He worries that NATO is trying to put together a whole global army, um, which will be used as a global, uh, well, army, and not as a North Atlantic uh, treaty, which it has traditionally been. So NATO are expanding, expanding, expanding all the time. Um, Chris Hipkins is up there because, of course, New Zealand are going to have these military drills with Australia And we saw all the materiel going in there last week. Remember, we were talking about that Um, because they want drills with countries like Japan um, and South Korea, Australia, New Zealand, the US and the UK. It's really just a resurgence of the East Bloc versus the West Bloc, isn't it? Yeah, it's something like that. And what worries me is that they're trying to set up this office in, and they will do it, in Tokyo that's a NATO office. And here's the weird thing, Cam. Do you know the main person who is against that? Who? It's Emmanuel Macron. Really? Yeah. Is that so you- that's because his little, his little empire in Frogland um, will, it- will be diminished by having this subsidiary office in Japan. Well, so because he see, ironically, I've never agreed with a single thing that Emmanuel Macron has ever said, but he is the one that is opposing Stoltenberg, the the chief of NATO, over expanding uh, NATO's reach into the Indo-Pacific. 
it's Macron because, as he keeps pointing out, um, it's the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, not the Indo-Pacific. And and their basis of a relationship with China is nothing militaristic. It's just been trade. And he wants to keep that trade flowing, as a lot of people do. It's the golden handcuffs, isn't it? Yes. handcuffs even. So here's the other odd thing is that they're obviously fingering uh, Ursula von der Leyen. I call her the Hillary Clinton of Germany because they want her to be the next chief of NATO. She's already been uh, Germany's defence minister. But she is a horrible woman. She is literally like a Hillary Clinton figure. And for the past two years, she's been tenaciously refusing to release the text messages that she exchanged um, with CEO Albert Buller of Pfizer. Um, And she has done that also with all her NATO texts when she was Germany's defence minister. She won't release the texts and she had them all deleted before she handed them back when she um, ended. Um, But if they are going to make her the next NATO uh, chief, and it's going to take a year because at the moment she's head of the EU, so that doesn't run out for another year. But if she gets that top job, we can guarantee that NATO's management under her will be about as transparent as Jacinda Ardern's government was to New Zealand. Right. So we haven't. there's not a lot of hope there, is there? You know, we, we're looking at an expansion of hard power. This isn't soft power. This is hard power. It's, uh, it, when you're dealing with a war, yeah. yes, you're dealing with hard power. I mean, just to touch on that, though, we've, we've seen the news that the United States is supplying cluster munitions to the Ukraine. Yeah. You know, and you've got these hawks in Congress and senators particularly your favourite person, Lindsey Graham, who's mm-hmm. just pimping uh, cluster munitions, which are banned worldwide. It's actually a war crime to deploy them, but the United States is uh, exiting their expired munitions into the Ukraine. Unbelievable. I, I mean, because they, I know after Vietnam they were used, weren't they, and they can kill people and do kill people 50 years after a war where you've got a new whole new political system and some poor kid. Um, because as I understand... Stands on this little cluster munition that's been lying around for 40 years. Because they're a bomb with... In a bomb. Yeah, there are lots of little tiny bombs within a bomb, right? So they yeah. can sit there in the dirt for 50 years and then de- uh, be blow up when some poor person stands on them 50 years later. Yeah, They're, they're actually they, more insidious than landmines because landmines are usually yeah. laid out with a pattern and there's documents and things like that when they come to clear the, the landmines. Most armies keep records of it. But with cluster munitions, they're used indiscriminately and they can be yeah. anywhere. But But look how it shows you how desperate they are to keep propping up this Ukrainian war against Russia. Um, I firmly believe that if that was, I, I don't know the future. We we don't know. We, I think we're all going to be dragged into something terrible. But um, Russia will win that war. If it was just left between the Ukraine and Russia, Russia would win. 
Um, and at the moment, you've got all these people like Lindsey Graham and the Ursula von der Leyen's of this world and the Boris Johnson's of this world propping them up to keep fighting. I've never seen anything more disgustingly immoral in my life as this prop up of the Ukrainian war, which has just been utterly devastating and they have no chance of winning. But you know the, the, there's no reverse, there's no handbrake and there's no reverse gear. So what they've started, I don't there's know. No exit, there's no exit ramp either. From, no, there's no exit ramp, exactly. They've gone barreling down to, towards warfare with Russia with, as you say, no handbrake, you know, um, no ability to reverse, and all the exit ramps are blocked with tanks. Yeah, right. They they can't get out. So, And here's the other thing I wanted to say regarding Zelensky is that, you know, you see his anger burst out every now and then because um, with everything that's unfolding and the fact that they don't, the NATO heads don't at the moment want Ukraine um, ushered into full membership because that would be an open would that would just a be, war. yeah it, totally a third world war um so you've got Zelensky sitting there um and he's he's going look you all pushed me into this war with a nuclear armed Russia on our border under the promise of future NATO membership now damn well admit me into your protectionist little club and they keep saying later 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 and now they're saying, no, sorry, not yet, not until the fighting's over. That's um, that's uh, Schultz's position. Yeah. And um, and then there's the issue of the contested borders. I, I can only think of one other precedent where a country was admitted into NATO, and that was back in 1955, and it was when West Germany, uh, when they still laid claim to East Germany, but the objective of NATO as a defence alliance against the Soviet system was a mu was much starker, and there was no fighting. It was over by then. So that they did admit West Germany into NATO with contested borders. Yeah. Um, but for them to do that at the moment with the state of Crimea, Donetsk, um, and the other Russian Russian majority Russian speaking areas, um, yeah, no one wants them in NATO. So. Zelensky, to me, it's a sign that Zelensky has deeply been used and he was stupid enough and coke-addicted enough to go along with it thinking that this would be a war that they could win against Russia. What a dumb idea. Well, I mean, what do you expect from a comedian turned politician? Yeah. But the I thing mean, is, with I mean, I don't have any tragic. Dog, I don't have any dog in this fight. You know, as far as I'm concerned, the Ukrainians and Russians are as bad as each other, and I think we should stay well away from it. And I'm just aghast that Christopher Hipkins is up there toadying to NATO, which is basically signaling tacit approval of whatever NATO wants to do uh, in Ukraine and other areas around the place. And, you know, Helen Clark, I, I doubt Helen Clark would have got herself involved in this. You know, she, I doubt Winston Peters would have got involved in this uh, in the way that that we're sort of lurching into this arrangement at the same time we're trying to um, be nice to the Chinese as well. It's not going to work. Eventually we have to pick a side. We can't play all the sides. It, it's, it, it's a dangerous game that they're playing and I don't think they're equipped within the, within the Labour government or any of these support parties. I don't think any of them are equipped to deal with the uh, geopolitical 
information, let alone geopolitical decisions that they're making? Well, I mean, Cam, uh, we all watched the fall of Afghanistan, didn't we? Well, we all predicted it would happen exactly as it did. Well, to be honest with you, I didn't predict that. Um, I knew, I knew, I knew what Trump was trying to do. I knew that the drawdown that he and Mike Pompeo were trying to do was gradual and thoughtful, with a focus on America first, which you know it should it should be. But when that actually happened, in the in the most ramshackle, disgusting way, all you got was the rise of the Taliban. Um, which, uh, I mean, the Taliban, you, you couldn't find a more br- brutal regime on earth than the Taliban. And that now has, but but at the time when that happened, my point was who the hell would follow NATO into anything after watching that nation building bullshit in Afghanistan and then a withdrawal that haphazard. And and remember- when It was very had- rapid. It was, it was so rapid. I mean, you had Biden saying, well, we're not going to see people climbing into helicopters on buildings like in Saigon. And then (laughs) in the very next screen was the same helicopter that was used in Saigon was was evacuating people out of the embassy in in Afghanistan, Kabul. You know, it was... And planes with people sitting on their wings, dropping. it It was ironic and terribly sad at the same time. But 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 to to my point exactly is that NATO have proved themselves to be beyond corrupt, beyond incompetent. Who the hell would fight them and follow them into any war? And now they're talking about expanding into the Indo-Pacific, and by default, that will mean the South Pacific. No, 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 not under this kind of uh, yeah. corrupt leadership. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. not. If NATO says that they've got your back, you better look behind you to see who else is there going to help you out because yeah. it isn't going to be them eventually. Yeah. If it becomes politically expedient to chuck you under the bus, then they'll do that ex- exactly as, as they predicted. Before. Yeah, because Fran- when, when they withdrew from Afghanistan, France and people like Macron were shocked. They, I mean, they America forgot, Biden forgot that they had allies that they actually had to talk to that were also in Afghanistan. Well, I, th- I think you just finished that sentence with Biden forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> Look, um, Olivia, we could, uh, we could talk forever about politics and geopolitical things. This is d- designed as a, as a short segment. Okay. <laughs> but... Um, uh, I think we'll do this as a regular a regular segment moving forward where we get people like you on on board and we can have a one-on-one chat about anything you feel like. And uh, I appreciate Excellent. you coming on the first show and uh, hopefully there'll be plenty more where this came from. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Cam, for asking me. And um, I look forward to hearing the whole thing in its entirety, your uh, first show. Yeah, it's going to be great. You've been listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Remember, you can check out the replays for today's show on our website at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash replays. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. for more with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio.